You're listening to the Grassroots Church Podcast. We're a Jesus-centered community in Thunder Bay, Ontario. You can learn how to participate more by going to our website at grassroots.church. Well, friends, we are in the last message of a series on why do we church? And next week begins Advent, which means that Christmas is 30 days away. How many of you have already made that mental note? How many of you over 18 have made? 29? Oh, I prepared this yesterday, so (laughs) 29 days. Okay, thank you, Scott. Sometimes you think that November is 31 days and you're wrong. It doesn't. It's only got 30. You're right. 29 days. Um, I am excited for Advent, and I mentioned a few weeks back, and we've been talking about it in the announcements on Sunday mornings as well, that I would love it if our community um, reimagined our approach to Christmas this year. Um, and some of you do this. Many of you do this already. Uh, this maybe is maybe just a challenge for our family and myself. Um, but to take the attention that we typically uh, turn inward and make this about us and the things that we can get at Christmas and how you know we're going to have so much fun doing all the parties... Lots of that is great. Um, but to take that attention and, and, and that focus, that inward sort of me focus, and turn it outward into um, blessing, being a, being a blessing to the community around us. And, uh, and like I said, some of you are doing that already, but for those of us who are struggling, what we've done is, as a, as a church community here, we're starting to collect initiatives, community initiatives that we can become plugged into throughout the Advent season and beyond um, that, you know, will require something of us, whether it's time, uh, money, uh, whatever it might be. But I'm encouraging us throughout this Advent season to kind of, yeah, step up a little bit in in this regard and and to really... um, take on this challenge and see how it doesn't affect you in a positive way as well. Um, So uh, we mentioned some of these, but I wanted to just kind of run through those initiatives that we've gathered to date and, uh, you know, pay attention to um, what these initiatives are. And then if something works, something speaks to you, then you can chat with Sherilyn, who's around, uh, or my, oh, she's in the back sound room or myself, and we can um, find a way to plug you into this. You don't even have to do it with us. You can just be like, hey, I know so-and-so in the church uh, would be up for this, so I'm going to just connect with that person, and we're going to get together, and we're going to participate in this. And that's great. But um, So serving at lunch on Urban, at the Urban Abbey, this Thursday, in fact, uh, which is uh, a time that the, the women in this community get together on Thursdays or every other Thursday, I think, at the Urban Abbey. So hey, you're going to be there anyway, potentially. Um, from 10 to 2 p.m., there's an opportunity to serve lunch there as well. And that's kind of on a regular basis as well. So if there's an opportunity that, uh, you know, maybe this Thursday doesn't work, maybe it can happen another Thursday. Operation Christmas Child, I think we filled that one up. That is amazing. I think we had 20-some people in this community already step up who have said, hey, I would like to help. That's uh, happening on December 10th. Um, CAS, Children's Aid Society, is packing food hampers on December 15th. So again, I think that is filled up as, re- as well. So thanks to those who have stepped up for that. Um, snow angel shoveling. Looking at some of you young whippersnappers and your uh, 
uh, and your maybe dads. Um, but this is an opportunity that has started a couple years ago um, in Thunder Bay, and it's just uh, shoveling snow for folks in the community who are shut-ins, who are elderly, who maybe aren't able to do it on their own, stepping up and just saying, hey, I can help do this. That, you know, again, this would go beyond Advent. Um, a, few a few others, Roots to Harvest Community Kitchen, that's a weekly thing. You can talk to Rhonda about that if you'd like to help in their kitchen and prepping food for the, for the, the community that they serve. Um, Robin mentioned on Facebook, Robin Peace mentioned on Facebook, uh, an opportunity to provide clothing, uh, gently used goods for uh, refugees that are coming in um, from, I'm not sure where actually, where is Robin? Syrian family, right. Sorry, thanks Robin. So Robin's over here if you'd like to chat with her about that. We are also planning uh, to tentatively carol together as a community at Castle Green, which is where Karen Green lives. Um, and I think Rhonda is the one organizing that, so that's another opportunity for us as a community to kind of bless uh, folks who maybe aren't able to get out that often. Maybe we'll do it in other spots as well if there's a real gung-ho desire for that. Um, and then another one that we haven't mentioned too much, but I know Rhonda made a comment on Facebook, and it's Memo Ministry, which Memo's been around for years. They're out of the Gracie Free Church. Jerome Harvey runs this organization, and actually he's uh, passing the baton on to Tom Baxter. And this is a, a beautiful organization or ministry that collects um, redundant hospital equipment and then uh, packs it into sea cans and ships it off to other parts of the world that uh, can utilize that stuff. And it's just, it, I think they've shipped over 100 containers over the last couple of years. It's just doing phenomenal work. So they're often in need of, again, you know, a little bit of muscle to help pack some of that re equipment into sea cans. They gather, the timing is often in the middle of the week, so unfortunately it doesn't work for a lot of us. But, you know, if you want to uh, email Tom and you can get on the mailing list, he always sends out emails about when the next time they're gathering uh, to pack. So those are just a few of the initiatives that have kind of come up organically in this community that we've become aware of. And I invite you to plug into one of these at least and just see how that doesn't impact you this season as we move into Advent. Now, we're not... Um, Oh, yeah, and if you have other ideas, I just wanted to say as well, talk to Sherilyn. She's got, uh, she's kind of the point person for all of this. She can plug you into something. She can add to this list, and we'll continue to pump this out on our Facebook uh, group, if you're part of that, or in our newsletter that we send out weekly as well. So lots of opportunity to connect and to plug in. Cool? Okay, but we are not doing that. That's Advent. That's next week. This week, we are closing our series on reasons, uh, re recovering the reasons for meeting together as a church community. And we began um, this series a couple weeks back asking, you know, we're taking a look at really, what are some of the reasons to not go to church? And some of those reasons are very legit. And, and, and that's fine. And we said, hey, in spite of that, in spite of those very legitimate reasons to not go to church, are, is, could a case be made that church is still valuable in our day and age? Could a, is there enough reason, good, solid reason, for followers of Jesus to continue uh, meeting together, integrating this back into sort of the rhythms of our lives uh, on a regular basis? And that's really what we've been looking at. And so... Um, we, we, in fact, uh, one thing we didn't say is that, yes, as Christians, there is this sort of call on us to participate in the transforming work uh, of ourselves, of our society, and of our world. But 
and, and so that's sort of a, a reason in and of itself to be part of this. But then also, even if you're not a Christian, even if, um, even if that's not your thing, if you're not into spiritual stuff, I still think there's a huge benefit to you to be a part of Christian community. Um, because I think it makes you a better person, period. I think being part of a church makes us better people, whether you're a Christian or not. Um, and just by sort of being around these weird people who are trying to live uh, in a more intentionally other-centered Jesus sort of way of living causes, it kind of rubs off on you. Um, and that's been my experience as a follower of Jesus, and I know many who have come to church over the years who maybe aren't even believers have also said, you know what, they're good people there, and I have felt blessed to be a part of that. Um, but this is especially true for Jesus' followers who are instructed to follow in the selfless, others-oriented way of Jesus. And we said last week that attending church is ultimately good at making you a better you. And uh, we talked about this theme of one-anothering, right? Um, that the epistles are sort of full, full of. It starts with Jesus saying, love one another. And then Paul takes that and he says, okay, what does love one another mean? And he goes into, and he uses this term we said a hundred times, what one another means. One another, uh, encourage one another, motivate one another, right? carry one another's burdens, confess one another to one another, forgive one another. All of these one-anotherings um, is sort of that selfless love in action within the community of faith. Um, that, uh, that our love is defined by following Jesus' footsteps through sacrificial, self-giving, serving our neighbors. And here's the thing, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but that transformation that takes place by being immersed in a community of one anothering, it typically doesn't happen overnight. And I say that because I think, maybe I mentioned, maybe I didn't mention this earlier, but that transformation is often many, many years. And I think we need to extend grace to one another in our um, community as we grow and as we discern what it looks like to become selfless and to follow Jesus in that way. And so just making that little note that I think grace is an important part of this and we need to kind of underscore everything. So if coming to church and being a part of intentional Jesus-centered Christian community is good at making you a better Christian whether you're, or a better person, whether you're a Christian or not, then I think it follows that the world in which you live in and in which you have influence over also becomes better. And that's the focus that we want to take this morning. So why do we go to church? Because Christian communities should naturally turn outward in its work of transformation. Um, let's look at, again, Hebrews 10. We've been sort of camped out there over this series, and I just want to turn to verses, uh, actually 24 to 25. It says 23 there, but just 24 to 25. And it says this, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love, and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so, within this proclamation of how Christians, or what Christians gathering looks like, what it should look like, is this little note about doing good deeds. The author of Hebrews says that we are to spur one another toward love and good deeds, to encourage one 
one another, to be regularly doing these good things in the world. Uh, Paul says this in Galatians, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. And so again, we see this emphasis on doing good. And Paul says, especially to those within the church, and that's what we looked at last week, this one anothering, right? But then also doing good for those outside these walls, beyond the scope of just the church family. Um, And we can look at what Jesus talked about, going back to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, He likened all of us, his followers, to the light of the world. Right, and there we, you know, we are this beacon of hope. We are this um, a city on a hill. He says, and we are to show the world a hopeful, um, life-giving sort of approach, and how to. That's how we are to enter into sort of the brokenness and the darkness of our world. And the question is, how do we do that? How do we become the light of the world? And he answers this. And he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see how your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And as we look at the rest of Matthew and and into the, the Gospels, we see what do those good deeds actually look like practically? And Jesus gives us so many examples. Things like feeding the hungry. He talks about visiting prisoners, those imprisoned. He talks about taking care of widows, clothing the naked, you know, all of those things that come to mind when we think of good works, right? Um, And we also know, however, that as we continue reading Paul's writing, as we get into the epistles of the New Testament, there emerges a theme of a specific kind of good deed. And that is the good deeds of reconciliation, Reconciliation could be argued that it is at the foundation of all good deeds. And if you think about it, every need in our, wor- in our world of charity, um, compassion, our need for love, all of that is really a call to respond to the need for reconciliation in our world. And this is what we see again and again in, in the, like I said, the epistles. But we see Paul right here in 2 Corinthians. God reconciled us to himself through Christ. So we are reconciled to Christ. And because of that, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has given us this task, this, um, by virtue of of experiencing reconciliation with God ourselves, having experienced reconciliation, we now can offer it to the world around us. Uh, Megan Good, in her new book, Divine Gravity, which just came out like two weeks ago, um, I've been reading that and just thoroughly enjoying it. Uh, It's a fantastic book. I think somehow in the new year, we're going to try to get the whole community to read this book. It's it's great. Anyway, um, in, in this book, she says that modern physics has discovered that due to entropy... Theoretically, someday, in the very few, far future, we can imagine that a human will look up at the night sky and see emptiness because stars are pushing each other further and further away. Um, and she says that also the earth, metaphorically, experiences this form of, uh, of uh, entropy. She says, here too, the space between every group and object appears to be increasing. Nations divided, genders, racial and ethnic cohorts, gaps growing between political parties, 
between humans and animals and land, families separated, human beings alienated from their own bodies and minds. Does this sound familiar? Yeah. We look around in our world, in our society, and we see this severing, this broken sort of state of affairs in every aspect of our life and in our society. Social media doesn't really help us in, uh, in addressing this. It only exacerbates it. And last week we talked about this transformation that takes place in us through Christ when we move from self-centered to other-centered. That transformation is born out of our being reconciled with God through Christ. It begins in us, and then it moves out into the world. And here's what she says. Oops, not that. <laughs> um, God, uh, I think I don't, do I have, uh, I don't have this. Meh, meh. No, I don't have it. Sorry. We'll just leave it here. I'll read this to you. God is reversing entropy. He's closing the distance. God is bringing divided people back into right relationship. God is bridging the gap. He's saving the world. He's reconciling creation and putting all things back together. Good says that when we think of this ministry of reconciliation, it's not entirely unlike the governments that use this term ministry. And if you've ever worked in the public sector or you're part of this public sector now, you'll be very familiar with this. Um, the Ministry of Health, for instance, it has a division that oversees all these different areas within the Ministry of Health. So you've got uh, a division that oversees public health. Uh, you've got a division that oversees nursing and, and um, prof you know, best practices or professional practice. You've got corporate affairs. You've got finance within um, the Ministry of Health. You've got, uh, what is it, Look, uh, um, hospital and health services. There's all these different divisions within the Ministry of Health, but they all share a common objective. They all share the desire to improve the health of Ontarians. That's their mandate. Or, for those maybe more familiar with um, Harry Potter, there's the Ministry of Magic. And the Ministry of Magic has divisions or departments like Magical Law Enforcement. Um, the Department of Mysteries is one. The Department of Magical Transportation. Very familiar to many of us, I can see nodding. Great. All these different divisions within the Ministry of Magic sharing the common objective to ensure muggles, who are non-wizards, never find out about the wizarding world. That's the goal of the Ministry of Magic. It's to ensure that the, the real world, not the real world, uh, the, the non-magic world doesn't find out about the wizarding world. And so she, uh, Megan talks about this Ministry of Reconciliation being a lot like this, a shared objective about, uh, of bringing about reconciliation in all its various forms and expressions in this world, and that if you're a citizen of Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, then by virtue of that position, you are now a public sector servant, a public servant, as it were, of the Ministry of Reconciliation. It's an interesting way of putting it, but I, I really like that metaphor. Um, and so this ministry of reconciliation is divided into all sorts of divisions or departments, but all with this common goal. So some of us work in the department of peace building or peacemaking. These would be nines on the Enneagram for those who are familiar with that. These are people who have shown the courage and the wisdom to step into the middle of conflicts between friends, between family, between those awkward and intense situations that humans often have, and they are able to bring about creative peacemaking solutions 
that bring people back together, that reconcile people. And then there are those who work in the department of bridge building, those who are gifted with finding connecting points between dissenting parties to find common ground so that relationships can be reestablished, reconnected. Um, For example, those who are building bridges between Indigenous and non-Indigenous communities, who are trying to overcome racism out there and in here and in here, right? Who are um, wrestling with what does it mean to address colonialism in our day. Um, They're building bridges between those of different social status in our community. Maybe they're serving in soup kitchens. Maybe they are uh, working with Children's Aid Society. They are interacting with religious groups, bridging, building bridges between religious groups. For instance, uh, one thing that comes to mind is how a couple years back we um, brought over refugee families, Muslim refugee families, and we worked in those communities very intentionally, definitely building bridges in that way. Right? All sorts of different ways that people are building bridges. And then for others, the Ministry of Reconciliation uh, might look like being a part of the Department of Tearing Down Walls that separate us from one another. Walls that create echo chambers for us, isolating us in all sorts of ways, ideologically, politically, even physically. Walls that may be self-induced. Separating us from those we fear or we don't understand. And that can be torn down simply through having an intentional conversation of understanding. And in this community, I have seen over the years, over and over again, people who are on different sides of opinions come together over a shared meal to seek understanding, to seek ways to get connected again, to reestablish, to tear down those walls of misunderstanding. Um, and then still others. Oh, I think I lost the last one. Sorry. There's another one. <laughs> My slideshow's a bit weak this morning. <laughs> still others might be involved with the Department of Restoration. Restoration. Restoring relationships with one another in our society, but also, and I think this is something often overlooked, restoring relationship with creation itself. This separation between us and nature that has been felt by so many of us and that has all sorts of consequences um, because we, you know, we relentlessly pursue the, uh, the amenities that, uh, of comfort and um, security that modern society has afforded us, but we fail to recognize how that dulls us to the sensations of the natural world all around us. And grassroots has always been a community that has valued the outdoors, value taking part in, in, in nature itself, whether it's through cross-country skiing in the winter or community gardens in the summer or camping or fishing, all of these things that we do intentionally because we want to be connected with the world out there. And so part of that act of restoration, part of being a member of the Department of, of, of um, Restoration is seeking ways that we can help others restore their connection with nature. And all of these divisions within the Ministry of Reconciliation, peace building, uh, bridge building, tearing down walls, restoration, and, and probably a dozen other adjectives that can be used to describe 
um, really the same thing. They're all concerned with this same objective of reconciling, reconciling, of bringing back together what the forces of um, pride and uh, fear and well, sin in general have just torn apart. That's what we are doing as followers of Jesus. And now I'm not sure if you've ever sought to find ways of reconciling either with yourself or trying to enter into a situation and um, sought to reconcile other, situ- other parties. But y- if you have, you realize that it's pretty messy. The reconciliation is a complicated business. There are not typically easy solutions. And much of the separation we see in our world is there because there aren't easy ways back to each other. And so you might, you know, feel like you're making progress one day and then suddenly the next day you fall flat on your face. And the nature of reconciliation is such that it can be really, really hard to carry out on our own as individuals. And this is why I think God designed ministry um, to ministry of reconciliation to be carried out in the context of the local church because we need one another to do this well. Um, remember that call in Hebrews 10, again, to uh, encourage one another toward good deeds. I don't think that was there just, you know, as an empty platitude that the writer of Hebrews was saying, I got to fill up this papyrus piece of paper as he wrote this. I think he was inspired by God to write that because that was really important to do. This expectation that you are going to be doing good deeds. You are going to be doing this work of reconciliation with one another and with the world, but that is not easy to do. So you need to encourage each other in that. You need to be constantly working together to have each other's backs um, you need to support each other, to lift each other up, to come alongside in, in the struggle of reconciliation. The thing is, these good works of reconciliation are not this fun little optional add-on that the life of uh, the Christian get to decide if they want to do or not. This is the core work of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that we are in the business of bringing about reconciliation in the world that we have influence over. To be open to how the Spirit might be leading us in the acts of reconciliation all around us that are in need. Um, Megan says this in this book. She says, Reconciliation is a shorthand term used by early Christians to talk about God's project of global rescue. So maybe another way of answering the question, why do we do church? It's because doing so accepts the invitation to participate in the work of global rescue with God through the good deeds of reconciliation. Sounds a little bit wordy, but hopefully you can see the value in that. We reflect what reconciliation looks like with one another. We demonstrate it to the world. We help bring it about in the areas of our lives that we have influence over. Now, there's maybe um, nothing in our world, in our experience, that proclaims how this fabric of humanity has been torn apart and in need of reconciliation and healing more appallingly than war. And uh, thankfully, 
I assume most of us in this room have not experienced war directly, but we have seen uh, lately over the last few months and even the last few years the, uh, the disturbing images that come out of the war in, currently in Israel and Palestine and uh, Russia and Ukraine. And we hear stories of lives ripped apart, of, of homes destroyed, of dreams vanishing. Um, the, you could actually say that war is the antithesis of reconciliation. It is on the opposite end of the spectrum of what of, 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 of the continuum. Um, and one story that I read about as I was doing this preparation was an interesting uh, example of, I think, or that serves as a really beautiful metaphor. And it happened during the siege of Sarajevo in 1992 to 1995, there is a Bosnian cellist, and maybe some of you have heard of this story. Uh, his name was Vedran Smelovic, and he witnessed um, bombs dropping all around him. He saw firsthand the atrocities of all that war ushers in. And everyone around him obviously fleed, and, and he had that urge as well, but he insisted that rather than fleeing from it, fleeing from all of that ugliness of war. He did something that is really almost unthinkable. Um, In the middle of a bombed-out crater in his neighborhood, Smilovic donned a tuxedo and sat in a chair and began to play his cello. Has anyone heard of this story? Yeah? Awesome. Um, At this location, the day before... A bomb went out and killed 22 people that were standing in line in a bake- for a, a ba- one of the few bakeries that were still in operation. And so this man got up every day and played his cello for 22 days straight in the middle of an active war zone. There were snipers all around. Bombs are still going off everywhere. And he defied all of that and stood up in the middle of this ugly scene and played a cello. And this was this active sort of uh, simple and yet incredibly challenging act that defied the reality that everyone saw around them. One author said this, he became a symbol of hope to the people of Sarajevo and a reminder to the soldiers destroying the city that another way was possible. And I wonder if this isn't the perfect metaphor of what the church is called to be. Then in the midst of broken buildings, uh, broken dreams, broken lives, broken relationships, the church steps in wearing its tuxedo and playing a tune of reconciliation, proclaiming that beauty can still exist in the midst of all this despair, that there is hope. There is this defiant hope in all of this brokenness, and it looks like Jesus. That's the call of the church. And I think it's an apt metaphor in a number of ways because this kind of defiance (laughs) that this cellist uh, displayed, that is rarely capable of being done on our own as individuals, right? Can you imagine walking into the middle of a war to play an instrument? I mean, I can't even play an instrument. So that would be really hard. But like doing something similar to that, like that is like that, the amount of courage, the amount of just 
I don't know, there's some words that I'm thinking I shouldn't say that are just words that, are, uh, that speak to just how challenging that would be. It takes a lot of those things to be able to do that. And the church is stubbornly called to resist fleeing and to enter into those spaces, those hard spaces. But because it's so hard, we can't do those things on our own. We need each other. And uh, no matter how desperately challenging the situation might be, for us to like walk into those situations in our lives and in this world and be like, yeah, I'm not going to resist. I'm not going to flee from this. I'm going to enter into this. We need one another to encourage, support, motivate each other toward doing that. Because on our own, our tendency is to flee, right? Um, so this work requires all of us to intentionally enter into sort of the ugly corners of our world, of our society, uh, spaces that have either been literally or metaphorically destroyed, torn apart due to irreconciliation. Our workplaces, our schools, our homes, and finding creative and powerful ways of healing, of, 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 of redeeming those spaces and those relationships. That's... That's what it means to be a follower of Christian. That's what it, or a follower of Jesus. That's what it means to be part of the church. We are invited to become the cellist of Sarajevo in our own little worlds. And so, let me sum up um, what it means to be a part of the church. Stepping into this building on Sunday mornings to gather intentionally with each other week after week, we are asked to, inv- to participate in this act of defiance, this act of reconciliation in a world that tells us not to do that, that says that there is no other way. And so this is what I would say if we were to look at the last few weeks and sum up this message, this series. Why do we go to church? We attend church because in spite of the many good, valid reasons to not attend, we believe that going to church has a tendency to change us from me-centered to other-centered. And we further believe that through Christ, we are empowered to carry out good deeds of this ministry of reconciliation to a broken and divided world. Amen? Only as the church can we stand together in the spaces of brokenness and fear and proclaim what reconciliation truly looks like. So that's it, friends. That's, that's my plea for why you and I should be a part of church. Because that's a tall order. And now the ball is in your court. And you have to decide if this is something you want to welcome into the rhythms of your life again. Is this something that you believe in? That you believe that you have a role to play in this? And it's absolutely a tall order. Um, Will you make this a priority in your life? It doesn't have to be at grassroots. I'm not saying that. I think it's a good option, but I think there are other options out there in Thunder Bay as well. But being a part of a local Christian community is important for the Christian. Uh, and I was thinking, now, how do I wrap up this series? Um, you know, what would be like the way, the, the best optimal sort of way of causing us to, uh, yeah, I guess just turn our attention to this, this question. Why do we church? What about the church? And I thought that quote that I shared the first uh, Sunday of the series would be a good way to kind of like serve as sort of a bookend to this series as well. And so um, that was by Barbara Brown Taylor. I'm going to put that up on the screen. I'm going to invite the band to come up and I'm going to read that again. And I want this just to be an opportunity to kind of, um, uh, I guess, provoke you or, or to serve as a, um, a call to challenge you, to challenge us, 
to consider integrating church attendance into our lives again, to be part of a local community of believers. And um, this is what it says. Oh, it's not on there. Is there no? Is there another one, Heather? Oh, this is the church. Okay, thanks. This is the church. Here she is. Lovely, irregular, sometimes sick and sometimes well. This is the body like no other that God has shaped and placed in the world. Jesus lives here. This is his soul's address. There's a lot to be thankful for, all things considered. She's taken a beating, this church. Every day she meets the gates of hell and she prevails. Every day she serves, stumbles, injures, and repairs. That she is healed is an underrated miracle. That she gives birth is beyond reckoning. Maybe it's time to make peace with her. Maybe it's time to embrace her, flawed as she is. Let's pray. Father, this morning, um, we want to say thank you for the church. Thank you that as a body of believers, we get to be your hands and feet in this world, to be um, agents of transformation in our own lives, in those around us, and in the world that we interact with day to day, that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, and each of us gets to play a role in that. Uh, But God, we realize that it's through the strength of community, of a church family, that we can actually achieve that reconciliation together and to, to achieve it well, because it's hard. It's hard to enter into those spaces that so much division and emotion, strife has been planted before we arrive and to find creative ways to bring that those warring factions back together Uh, we need your spirit and we need one another in this way so god would you speak to us this morning speak to us as we go from here into the advent season Um, would this challenge be on all of our hearts to um to take advantage of the body of believers that are here, to lean on one another, to look to one another for help in, our, in the many instances of our weeks in which we need, in our week in which we need help, um, to be called, in, to, to just be encouraged to go into the hard, this hard work you've called us to. Help us to take this, uh, this calling seriously and um, to be drawn closer to you and to be drawn closer to one another as we do it. And I pray this in Jesus' name.